From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling from Monday, April 9th, the Postmasters edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling on, a, on the day after Patrick Reed gets what I believe Sean Davison, who joins us to talk about this, was long in the making. I think anybody who has followed golf long enough and has seen what Patrick Reed has done on a, on a, a team scale, on a... Uh, national scale knew that eventually he would take uh, that mentality and that strong play and, and, and turn it into a major, and that's what he did yesterday at Augusta. Yeah, Jeremy, he has become, you know, he's become a stud in international competition, and he's become a guy that I think a lot of folks have rallied behind in terms of getting the Americans back, you know, to where they feel they belong in terms of the, of the uh, almost of the Solheim Cup, the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Uh, but aside from that, you know, he has proven himself against really tough fields time and time again, whether it be at the Barclays or back when the tour played at Doral, that he has what it takes against the best players in the world on his own merit. And, you know, he's made his way up through Monday qualifiers, and it takes a lot of guts and a lot of confidence to be able to do that time and time and time again. And he has. And I think he's all the better for it, a much better player and a much stronger player for it. And, you know, it's all come together and it's all paid off with a little refinement along the way. And uh, now he's wearing a green jacket. And, you know, what I find fascinating about him is, uh, golf-wise this is, is that he is somebody... Um, who doesn't have, have who doesn't have an equipment contract at the moment? Um, who uh, hasn't really played that well this year? It's been over a year since he won. Um, played much better at the match play in Austin. Had trended upwards, but I don't think anybody saw the hot Friday round coming that he did. And lo and behold, uh, gets hot, stays hot, is able to keep. The momentum going, and then when Ricky and Jordan and them uh, uh, came after him on Sunday, he was able to bunk, uh, 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 buckle down and, and birdie 12 and get the good break at 13 and birdie 14 and, and, and have that ball hit the hole on 17 and then ultimately make the two-pot on 18. He did everything he needed to do, which was something he had not been doing on the golf course for, for, uh, for over a year. No, you're right on that, Jeremy. He has... He struggled a bit, you know, and, you know, at times I, I recall that ball striking was a bit of an issue. He was working on getting that squared away, and and it, it hasn't always been easy for him, but, you know, for a lot of guys, it, there's going to be times where it's not super easy. For me, uh, I spent some time around him and the rest of the Reef clan in Tampa, and that's where I saw my first real sign of life. The golf course that he likes, more often than not, he makes his way onto that leaderboard. And he had a chance to force the playoff on the 18th green, and the ball caught in the fringe and never made its way up the hill, and it came back to his feet. But I think to me that was the first real sign of life, and especially at a course like Innisbrook, where it's tight, it's hilly, and it places a premium on accuracy, angles, and you really have to be a good thinking man to get your way around that golf course, and you've got to be mentally tough because you can get yourself in trouble real quick around that snake pit, it's just a course that suited his eye. And I think, you know, when I, when I saw that, I thought, all right, this guy's game isn't that far off. 
Then I was out at Bay Hill when he made eight birdies on Thursday. Um, he ended up, I believe, he bogeyed six that day, and I believe he doubled 18. But, I mean, eight birdies aside from that, it, you could tell at that point in time, just the few rounds that I walked with him, that he was rounding in a form and that he was starting to look pretty good. Then you mentioned the match play, and, and it just seemed like things were starting to come together. And, and I think that you made a good point there. He's the kind of guy, he's gritty, he's tough, he's a bulldog. Just ask any of the Europeans, ask Rory McIlroy after, you know, 2016 Ryder Cup. He's not going to come back to you on his own. You know, maybe the nuance of the situation, leading the major going into Sunday for the first time, perhaps as we've seen it rattle a few guys in the past, it would have gotten to him. But generally speaking, he's not going to come back to you on his own. So it was the onus of guys like Speed and Fowler and McElroy to really apply some pressure. Spieth did his part, but for the most part, until they got around the turn, there really weren't many more roars being generated from Rory or Fowler, who was only one under at the turn. And finally, when they got things going, I think Reed had already settled in. And what was so surprising to me about yesterday was it was an odd vibe yesterday. Because... You know, he hits the horrible tee shot on one, Reed does, hits the tree with his backswing and his follow-through, blah, blah, blah. They kind of trade bogeys and birdies back and forth. And then Rory's putter deserted him. And at that point, it was, okay, who's going to catch Reed? And eventually, Spieth did, and Ricky almost did. But it was kind of an odd vibe in that final group, and then all the roars and all the action happened ahead of them, and the, and, and the patrons and their um, allegiance went with all those other people, and it was Reed to kind of fend against all the haters. You know, it, Jordan has always been, you know, since he emerged onto the scene and, and won early in his PGA Tour career and the way he's engaged with the fans and the way he's engaged with the media and the way he's been very forward about his successes and failures and the way that he's handled himself and the fact that he's young, he was fresh out of college, he was relatable to the modern-day players and a lot of kids um, when Tiger Woods, who was a lot of people's role model, was right in the midst of a bunch of back issues and, and knee issues and you name it, issues. And, I, you know, in the time that Tiger has sort of exited and now reemerged, you've seen guys like Ricky Fowler win a player's championship. You've seen guys like Jordan Spieth win three masters, uh, not three masters, three majors, one of them being the masters. Um, and you've seen these young guys who kids look up to and have set a positive example for young kids. Um, not that Patrick Reed hasn't entirely, um, but that have set a really good example for young kids and are young themselves that have really become the darlings of the crowd. And I think when you see both of those guys, plus the guy who's looking for career history in McElroy that's also in the mix right in those final groups, I think those are the, I hate to say the word, but those are like the sexier storylines, if you will. Whenever you've got Jordan Spieth trying to win his fourth major, you've got Ricky Fowler trying to break through for his first. And those are the guys that have been popular in mainstream society and in the golf world in terms especially of American golf. Plus a guy that if you're not going to find a very popular American, if you're going to look past the Americans, it's hard to find a guy that's a European that's more popular than Rory. Um, I think it was very easy for people to root for somebody else. Patrick's quiet about what he does. He's a, he's a very reserved man on the golf course. He rolls up his sleeves and gets straight to business. And when you've got young, flashy guys like uh, Ricky Fowler wearing his orange on Sundays, I think it's 
something that a lot of the younger fans especially can relate better to. And I think that's why you saw a little bit more excitement for guys like Spieth and Fowler for what they were doing, especially on the back nine on Sunday. You've walked, um, and, and you noted this before, Sean, that, that, that you spend time in a lot of Florida tournaments. You've walked with the Reeds, uh, 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 sorry, with Justine. You spent time with, with her brother, his caddy, Kessler. Um, Patrick Reed is sometimes a misunderstood man. He's a complicated man. He's got a past that many people have read about in the last 24 hours. How would you describe Patrick Reed slash the Reeds? You know, I think that's an important question for you to ask, and it's it's one that I was, in preparing myself to come on the air today, I was preparing myself to answer. And I, I think the first thing that I, I that I should say is that, you know, yeah, I do a lot of media work, and there was a, a time for a couple of years that I was out and I was writing and I was doing some radio and, and whatnot, and I had a media credential. Uh, but one of my long-standing philosophies is that, you know, unless they volunteer it, I'm not going to try to overly get involved in players and families' personal lives and, and figure out what's going on. And I'm well aware that there's been Golf Week and Golf Digest and all sorts of other articles that have been published recently about the Reed family situation. Um, and, and I know that you wouldn't have wanted to ask me about it anyway, but I, I clearly and honestly know nothing about it the extent of that. I don't know them that well, and nor should I, really. Um, but from what I do know, I met them for the first time back in 2014. It was back, I believe it was the last time Patrick had played Bay Hill until this year. And, you know, it, Bay Hill sort of falls in an awkward spot on the schedule, so guys will play it a year, miss it a couple of years, come back to it, etc. Um, but it was, I was introduced to them, and you know, me being a college kid, and at the time I was wearing FSU stuff, striking up a conversation about college sports, especially during NCAA tournament time, is particularly easy to do. And and I remember being back in scoring, I believe it was behind the 18th green, it was across the street actually from the 18th green. And uh, sure enough, struck up a conversation with Justine while she was waiting on Patrick. Kessler came out of scoring, as caddies often will do, they'll go in there and then they'll come out before the players and we were talking a little bit, and uh, and we all were getting along great. I believe Michael Collins from ESPN.com came over. Michael Collins, by the way, could befriend a box if it had a pulse. Um, so we were having a really good time. Patrick came over and joked with us a little bit, and then went off to the range to get some work done. Uh, yep, keep going. So, so, uh, so as you were saying, walking with the reeds, and as Patrick has surfaced on leaderboards. As he surfaced on leaderboards, especially at Tampa over the years, it's just sort of lent itself that, if you're walking out with some of those later groups, you're going to, to see those same people. And it's just sort of been a relationship that's, that's continued on. And I would say that we're friendly. I wouldn't say that we're besties. I wouldn't say that we're messaging each other on all forms of social media. But we've got a positive relationship. And every interaction that I've had with Justine, with Kessler, with Patrick, I've walked away and i felt good about it. And i felt good about them. And frankly, I think they're good people. I really do. And... You know, I, I've recently had the opportunity to meet Justine's sister, Chris, uh, Kessler's sister, Chris, who was out with them, I believe, in Tampa and Bay Hill, and and she's great, too. And, you know, it, they're a family that, I think, as you mentioned, Jeremy, they're, they're often misunderstood. But from my experience with and around them, and it's been more than just once or twice, they're really good people. 
We were talking with Sean Davison about the Masters. Let's go through some of the other finishers now before we get back to uh, to uh, Mr. Reed himself and, and, and what's next for him golf-wise. Ricky Fowler, I think, took a step yesterday because he's had closing problems. Look at what happened in Houston when he just gave away a lead on Saturday and never recovered. In fact, he was my pick for the Masters until I saw that and then, and then moved to Justin Thomas because I didn't like what I saw. Um, here's somebody, Sean, who clearly is on the precipice and did everything after a slow start. I give him credit. It's very easy when you see people making all these runs around you to panic. He never panicked. He stayed within his game, birdied 8-9, and, and then made the turn and then made that run to shoot 67 and, 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 and to birdie 18 to put the pressure on Patrick. Um, that was really impressive stuff for Ricky Fowler. And if he can only do this one more time and get that major, then I think it'll be fine for him once he bursts through the floodgates. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I had a lot of respect for Ricky Fowler and a lot of admiration for him. Um, both as a person and as a player coming into this, and that's only grown exponentially. Watching how he handled himself on Sunday at the Masters, got off that slow start that you mentioned. He was one over through five, um, but just hung in there. And, you know, for a guy who has had issues closing out tournaments, whether it be going from Friday into the weekend or from Saturday through Sunday, um, you know, he won the players from well behind. Um, it was good to see him perform down the stretch. And for me, the big thing was, you know, when I, when I watch golfers and I watch athletes in general, you know, whether it be a guy who stepped up to the plate with two outs and, a, and the tying run aboard in scoring position, does he have what it takes to, to come through for his team and to keep that momentum going and to drive in that tying run or, you know, hit the game winner? You know, guys who can actually perform when the pressure is its greatest and the spotlight is its brightest. And for me, in a golf sense, that was Ricky Fowler coming down 18 yesterday. He knew he needed a birdie trailing by two to apply any kind of pressure on Patrick Reed, split the fairway, hit a real tight iron shot into the green, poured the putt in dead center, and did everything that he could do. You know, again, slow start, but was really strong, especially on the back nine didn't look the least bit rattled, and that was as impressive a performance I've seen from a guy who hasn't won a tournament. Mind you, this is a guy who's finished top five in so many majors with scores that easily could have won them any other year that I've been in a while. Jordan Spieth was one eagle putt on 13 and one tree branch on 18 away from possibly pulling off the greatest comeback in golf history. He was, and tree branch and eagle putts aside, what we witnessed from Jordan was still one of the more remarkable and, dare I say, one of the more historic or memorable rounds that we'll probably look back on in recent history, if not history in general at Augusta, because of what it nearly could have been. Bad break on 18 and a putt that a lot of guys misread on 13. Still a tap-in birdie for Steve there. But for a guy that hadn't been making putts, or was struggling on the green, he made a boatload of them and a boatload of them on Sunday. The putt that he made at 16 was incredible. I mean, the guy looks every bit the part. And I've always been a big believer in be patient. Let Jordan be Jordan. Don't compare him in the pace that he's winning tournaments and majors to that of Tiger, to that of Jack. And I am by no means saying he's going to win tournaments and majors at the same clip as those two. 
But when you can come from that far behind to put that kind of a run on uh, on another Masters title, that to me says, all right, this guy has turned into the type of player where you cannot count him out on Sunday regardless of where he is on that leaderboard so long as he's on it somewhere. And that to me was the next big step for Jordan Speed. Aside from getting that putter in shape, which he clearly did this week, and uh, and becoming a more consistent contender week in, week out, he's still looking for that first win this season, I believe, and and it will come, and it will come quickly for him. John Rahm fell victim to the water hazard on 15, like so many before him. One more club, just hit it to the back edge, and you're alive. Tried to be too aggressive, didn't catch it just right. And it found a watery grave. That it did. But I'll tell you what, if I'm John Rom, that's disappointing for sure because that ball was heading on a really nice line. But you, you, you paid the price for taking the chance you had to take at that point. You needed a three, period. And the only way, unless you have full confidence in your ability to hole out a wedge on Sunday on 15 at Augusta, when you do have a decent go distance with your length to reach that green in two. You know, to me, he did what he needed to do. It didn't pay off for him. My big takeaway for John Rahm, and I think we talked about this last year, Jeremy, is that he runs so hot sometimes. Yeah. That that is not conducive to contending in majors. Look at his temper tantrum on 17 yesterday. He totally could not get past that on 16 and 17. He was a mess for two holes. By and large, by and large throughout the entire week, because we hadn't really seen him contend in a major yet. You know, it was, when are we going to see this guy contend in majors and, and make a run? This was the first real run I think we've seen John Rahm make at a major. He's mature. He's still going to have his moments where he's going he's gonna to be disappointed. He's going to have his many meltdowns or not so many meltdowns. But I think for me the big takeaway is, He's starting to put the pieces together and figure out what it takes to stay in a tournament as grueling mentally as a major all four days. And he's right around the corner from putting it all together and perhaps winning one himself. He really is. If, 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 if he can keep his his self mentally intact. Phil Mickelson said something interesting yesterday. He said he tries too hard in majors. said that he sees his his clock ticking, he sees, his, he sees father time ticking, and he's pushing too hard and trying too hard, which is remarkable for a guy who came in on great form, who finally broke through in the winner's circle in Mexico, and yet, for some reason, trying too hard at Augusta. Um, Phil Mickelson's a mysterious f- fellow. I don't know how to interpret him sometimes. I understand it. He sees his clock ticking and wants to push it, but that is just a weird thing to do. You are Phil Mickelson. You're playing great. You just need to relax. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, first of all, let me just say, because I don't think I've had the opportunity to come on your show this season and just react about the season that we've seen so far. That is true. You have not. Go ahead. Remarkable. It is. What we've seen Phil and Tiger be able to do this year, regardless of this not being the Masters weekend either would have wanted. I mean, what we've seen from both of them, Phil getting back in the winner's circle and Tiger darn near getting back in the winner's circle on two separate occasions this year, after six months ago not being sure that he could ever play again, has been incredible. I I hope I can turn back the clock 
like that because if I can turn back the clock about a decade like they have, oh my gosh, I'd lose 40 pounds and I'd have about two more inches of hairline. <laughs> um, but it's, hey, working in college sports, it'll do it to you, buddy. Um, but my thing, with, uh, my thing with Phil and Tiger, yeah, Phil, I can understand why he's pressing a little bit, but with you, it's a bit perplexing that he felt the need to, when this is a course that you're familiar with, you know, the horses for courses mentality, this is the only course that they play in the major rotation on an annual basis. He's won there several times. You know that layout. You know what you need to do. You know where you can't take chances. You know where you don't need to be pushing. And it just felt like he was trying too hard all week. Tiger, as far as Tiger is concerned for me, you know, we're still in the middle of this comeback. Yeah, it's early. He's a little rusty. You know, the iron play might not quite be to the level that it was a particular week. The driving might not be there. He's still piecing it together. And the fact that while he's piecing it together, he's ascended to the top 100 in the world is ridiculous. Um, for me, the big takeaway for Tiger is I got to see the guy play on the weekend in a major for the first time in several years. And that looked good. And he set a goal for himself to reach even. I think he pushed a little too hard on 18, left himself in a bad spot on the green, ended up three-putting. Otherwise, he would have reached that goal shooting 68 on Sunday. I think the pieces are coming back together, and now both get to go to Shinnecock Hills which is a track that hasn't hosted a U.S. Open in a while. But if you go back that while to 2004, it's a track that they're both familiar with because they were both playing and playing really good golf at that time. So they're going to have the edge over some of these younger guys, just the familiarity of Shinnecock. Yeah, and, and that goes back to um, back in the pre-Mike Davis days when the USGA pushed it a little bit too far. Now with graduated rough USGA and, and all the the nice changes Mike Davis has made uh, while running that ship and setting up golf courses. This should be a much better and still very tough uh, Shinnecock Hills. A um, couple things here um, while I have you. Um, we have seen so far this year a run of uh, name brands win. It's been what's made this year so incredible, and it's what made the Masters field so small. Now we're ending up in a part of the season where I think we're going to see a bunch of really random winners, uh, random for the casual fans. We obviously, as golf fans, may recognize these people. Is there anybody who has not yet won this season, but not Jordan Spieth, not Ricky Fowler? I'm talking about the, you know, uh, Marin Wises of the world, just those names that, that casual fans may not know, but who you saw while uh, walking around some golf tournaments this spring and just in your general following of the game that you think are on the cusp of breaking through and, and, and doing something. For me, it's Bo Hostler. Uh, he showed a lot of moxie uh, uh, going up against Ian Poulter in Houston. And I think Bo Hostler, who you and I both know is insanely talented, is, is on the precipice of breaking through for his first win. So I've got four names for you that I, I would not be surprised to see any of them, if not all of them, win. Bo was going to be one of them. The other three are Cameron Smith. I think he's, uh, he, we saw him over the weekend at Augusta. You know, depending on the volume of tour events that he plays, I think that he can contend at any number of them. I think that is a name that golf fans are going to want to get to know because I don't think he's going anywhere, Jeremy. He looks solid. He's mentally tough. He can make birdies in bunches. I really like that young player. As we get young players from America, we get young players on the European ranks. 
you know, the John Roms now that are coming in. A young Australian and Cameron Smith. I think he's a really exciting guy. Uh, I mentioned Bo Hosler. To me, the third one that I'd be interested to see that I think is doing a phenomenal job, and again, this is a volume kind of thing where you're not going to see him very often because he's got better membership on the web tour, but every chance he's had to play on the PGA Tour, he's played well. I would not be surprised if you saw Sam Burns play in a tournament and put four rounds together. This kid is incredible. I watched him on the range at Bay Hill. Great swing. He's got the finishes to prove it. Played with Tiger at the Honda and really did a phenomenal job playing with Tiger. And I just think that he's, he's going to be somebody that we are going to, to keep an eye on. If he's not going to win in one of the appearances that he gets to make this year, he will certainly win a tournament next year so long as he doesn't do any of the freaky, goofy equipment changes now that he's on the tour, and as long as he doesn't try to start changing things with the swing. Like you've seen guys get in trouble doing that. He doesn't need to touch a thing, and he will be successful out on tour for plenty of time to come. And frankly, we see him for glimpses and rounds on occasion, time and time again. I think Charlie Hoffman picks up a win sooner rather than later. I think he's going to make his way into the winner's circle. He won at Valero a few years ago. Would not surprise me in the least to see him go back there and win again. And the uh, Valero Texas Open coming up in two weeks on Golf Channel uh, on uh, Golf Channel on CBS. Well, yes, technically on, on Golf Channel too. Um, final thing for you, Sean. Um, we. Uh, now I ask you the same question I ask you after every time you're on when we're talking about a, a recent winner. What's the ceiling? I, I, it's so hard. Patrick Reed is so streaky, and as we've seen in these team events, he can have a, a ho hum, you know, regular tour season individually, and he puts on the red, white, and blue and becomes a different person. Um, I, I don't know what the ceiling is for him, and. I don't know if he becomes a multiple major winner. I don't know if he's somebody who rattles off another two or three wins this year. But I know that he'll step up in a Ryder Cup because that's, you know, he is American's uh, he is America's Ian Poulter. Um, but I don't have a read, no pun intended, on what Reed will do going forward. What's yours? Well, I'm going to say this. In terms of winning more than just this one major. By the way, if you're only going to win one major, this is the one to win. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to look to the fact that he's coming off a second place finish at the PGA at Quail Hollow to say that he absolutely can and will win another major. I think the way he's got that mental toughness about him, you get the right layout at a U.S. Open golf course where you just have to hang in there, grind it out, and just work your way around that golf course four days in a row and hope that you survive, much less hoist a trophy. That's the kind of U.S. Open that I can see Patrick Reed winning. Clearly, he's capable of winning a PGA. Um, you know, I'm not sure. You know, he played well in the Ryder Cup in Europe in 2014. You know, I haven't seen a lot of him playing overseas to know how well his game transfers for four consecutive stroke play rounds to win an Open Championship. But this is a guy that, that basically, Jerry, he's got all the tools. You know, I could see him winning any number of the other majors. And I could see him, because he's so streaky, maybe only winning one. You know, I think that for a guy like Patrick, who's got the right mindset, he's a gamer, he's a bulldog, 
you're not going to be much tougher than Patrick Reed on a golf course. You, in a match, you have met your you've met your match, no pun intended, against Patrick Reed. Um, you know, he's one of the first guys that I've turned to if I needed somebody to pull off a good shot or or to make a clutch cut for for any particular reason. You know, for those reasons, I think he's got all the intangibles to win again at the major level. I would not be surprised if he won again this year. The streakiness, of course, is a bit of a concern. You know, he went all last year, didn't play particularly great. And if I'm not mistaken, aside from that playoff miss in uh, 2015, he really didn't do a whole heck of a lot until he won, uh, until he won, sorry, I'm getting 2015 and 2016 merged. Uh, 2016, I believe, is the year that he won Barclays. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And uh, it was just like, whoa, where'd that come from? And now then he became one of the top five that had a chance to win the whole thing in Atlanta at the uh, Tour Championship. But this is a guy that, you know, at the very least, being a streaky player, is going to have one heck of a career as a streaky player because he seems to surface at some of the biggest events. And that alone is the reason why I believe that he can win another major, aside from the fact that he's starting to, to prove with the second at the PGA, now the win here at Augusta, that he's figuring out what it takes to compete at these things and contend and put himself in a position to win. So I think he wins more majors. I, I do think there's going to be multiple majors to come for Patrick Reed. And I think you're going to see him win probably again this year, maybe a time or two next year, and he'll have a nice career. That's the thing. you know. I, I think when, when you look at Tiger Woods knocking on the door of 80, and you look at guys like Bill and, and guys who have well into their 30s and 40s and Jordan Spieth who clips off four or five wins a year, Justin Thomas who was five or six last year. I mean, I think sometimes we get enamored with the fact that these guys are on pace to, to win 40 tournaments in their career, or 50 or however many, and we lose sight of the fact that it's hard to just win one. Yeah. And the, the career that Patrick Reed has had is already special enough and again, I do think he wins another major, if not multiple more. And if, you know, if being a streaky player, he gets to 18 and two majors, that's knocking on the door of a Hall of Fame career. And that's not half bad. So I think he's somebody that is going to be one of the better American golfers for some time, whether it be in spurts or, you know, extended, we'll see. Um, and he's somebody that the American fans shouldn't break because he's not going anywhere. Sean Davison, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up to talk the Masters. All right, always a pleasure, Jeremy. I'll talk to you after TPC. You got it, and uh, thank you all for, li- for uh, listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.